Hello and welcome once again to Dave and Marlo, a Blazers Edge podcast. I'm Dave Deckard here with Marlo Ferguson. Oh my goodness, a long all-star layoff is over. The Blazers have one game, one three-point trophy, and a lot of questions under their belt uh, as we speak today. Uh, where to start? Um, well, let's start with the most, uh, I mean, the most dramatic development, the most important one. Damian Lillard wins his third attempt at the three-point shootout. Marlo, did you watch it? And what were your thoughts as you watched Dame take the trophy? I did watch it. Uh, won a little bit of money off of it. So it was a great weekend for me. <laughs> I, um, when I seen him come out in the Weber State jersey, I knew something was different. And he's, he's one of those guys that, you know, when he puts his mind to it, he said he wanted to win it at least once in his career. Um, he was able to get it out of the way, so definitely great. Hopefully that's not the highlight of the, the 2022-23 season, but um, definitely a, a great weekend for him, you know, all things considered. Yeah, I mean, it was odd. It was in the midst of an all-star break that had peaks and valleys. I, I felt joy for Dame winning it. It felt muted in a sense, too. It's almost like a celebration, and maybe this is the whole world, but it was a celebration that was good in an environment that was weird. So, like, I felt personally great for Dame. I felt great for his kids. I liked the picture of him holding the trophy. You know, he, he shot well. It was cool beating Buddy Heald by a point. Buddy looked upset. Uh, so, I mean, that was that was good. There was a little bit of real competition there. At the same time, I mean... Maybe it was lack of star power. I don't know. I, I, I have no idea. Just something seemed a little bit off, but then something was off with the whole weekend. It's funny you say that. Um, I hadn't really thought about that, but the, the star power thing, I, I can see that being the case. You know, other than Lillard and it was it Jason Tatum, there weren't many, you know, big name, high profile players in this year's uh, three point shootout. Uh, but I do like the fact that it ended the way it did with, with Lillard having to hit the, the game winning shot. You know, it was very fitting, very poetic that he needed to do that. So, um, very interesting. I, I I was looking forward to seeing Sharp in the dunk contest right after that. Uh, that didn't work out. Uh, but for the Portland Trail Blazers, I think it's a a a, a good little uh, segue into the next part of the season and also something positive to kind of talk about. Uh, it, it doesn't really do well for the the people that think that he doesn't really win any like real real awards. You know, he's got the bubble MVP and three point contest and whatnot. But just thinking positively, I think it's a, it's a good thing for him to to bolster his case as one of the best shooters to ever do it. You know, I think all the great shooters have that award on their on their resume, so all good things there. Yeah. So, uh, Mac McClung in the dunk contest was an eye opener. I, I didn't know. I you know. Okay, that's awesome. I I I need your I need your thoughts on that. Uh, tell me, t tell me what you felt or or thought uh, as he won it. Oh, I, I thought it was interesting, especially all of his dunks. Um, I remember Reggie Miller saying on the, on the broadcast that he saved the dunk contest. Um, and I, I could see that being the case. You know, there were a lot of, lot of snoozers, a lot of dunks that we've seen, you know, thousands and, and dozens of thousands of times and whatnot. So seeing McClellan bring out some creative dunks, I think that was great. Um, and I love to see players like that put themselves on the map. I think if Shaden Sharp were in there, he definitely had given him a run for his money, just with the 48, 48 inch vertical and, and being able to play to the crowd a little bit, but. You know, the dunk contest is what it is. I think there are a lot of changes they need to make across the board with that. Uh, but I've seen worse dunk contests, so I, I'm not I'm not too negative when it comes to that that, that process. Yeah, I guess I mean it is a show, right? So uh, look, if it was a good show, I guess it was a good contest. His his dunks were cool. I think part of it was his hard nosed attitude, kind of underdog deal. That that's fine. Again, you have. As has been endemic in the LeBron James era, you have players that nobody's ever heard of. The, the dunk contest has kind of been a way for players who are obscure to step forward. So that's that's awesome. No one will ever forget him. When they see him, they'll you know know who he is. I just I don't I don't know how to say it. I, I, Again, it felt like the cultural tides were just washing around in an eddy of the river that we've seen before. And maybe there's nothing new, but it's hard to feel like it meant anything. Uh, it's hard to feel like it was really anything to get excited over beyond the moment. And maybe that's it. Maybe, I guess, I missed a feeling 
that I used to have, certainly as a kid and even when I was older, that, okay, you would tune into the all-star break to see maybe things you had never seen before, or at least things that were connected to some kind of legacy or whatever, that this is this generation's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, this is this generation's Michael Jordan, or whatever it is. I just don't, I don't feel like that came out in any of the Saturday things. I don't feel like Sunday presented any opportunity for anybody to be anything like that, even though Jason Tatum literally broke the All-Star Game scoring record. And and there maybe lies my discomfort. I think that's well said. Um, it's definitely less memorable than, I, than it would be in previous years. Like, I can remember sitting here watching in the, in the 80s with my dad, like the old ones, and seeing the Jordan and Dominique, you know, the duels, and they would they would translate on the court as well. Larry Bird coming into the locker room and telling guys who's going who's gonna to come in second. So just stories like that, we don't really get that as much. But I think it speaks to the, the backdrop of the NBA now. You know, there's a lot more friendly um, competitions and rivalries. They're not as, you know, embedded into the NBA's, you know, culture as they are, as they used to be. So it's kind of just the way the NBA is now. Um, and like I said, I don't think this is going to be anything that we remember a year from now. Like, I don't remember who won last year's dunk contest. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's just kind of the way it is now. Like, get some good dunks, some good highlights, get your followers up and, and, and move on. So it's rough, but I, I definitely see where you're coming from with that for sure. Yeah, although I should say that Shaden Sharp could come in, and if McClung comes back to defend his title, that could be an epic battle. I mean, and I, I'd like to see that. I'd be surprised if either either player or the NBA had that long of a view setting that up, and that's why Shaden wasn't here. But, you know, that, that could be cool. Yeah, and it definitely would be. Um, Shaden's a guy that he, he's got the, the skill set to really translate and really make himself a household name. And I had really been looking forward to that. Um, because with this year's dunk contest, if you weren't like a, a, a hardcore fan, you know, you're not going to know Jericho Sims and, and Mac McClung and uh, Trey Murphy and, and those guys with all respect to them. Um, so it would have been a great chance for, you know, Sharp to kind of introduce himself to the, you know, the, the long term, the, the, the bigger scope of NBA fans. Uh, but we'll see. Hopefully he does that over this next couple of months with the playoffs heat, playoff race heating up and hoping for the best there. Yeah. I mean, Maybe we're hitting on it. And let's get to Sunday quickly. I mean, because that was, oh boy. I mean, the whole world is an uproar. The whole NBA world is in an uproar over that. And okay, I think I think I kind of get it. And sorry, folks, I know I use wrestling analogies too much. But okay, so you look at the WWE nowadays. And what are their big, big moments? I mean, it's like, okay, so Jake Paul comes out. Or... Naughty Rabbit or whatever that Bad Bunny. Okay, yeah, that dude like <laughs> it comes in and like does wrestling moves in the Royal Rumble, and you're going like, okay, they're more friendly, they're more accessible, but you kind of get the idea that anybody could do it. You know, this is not this is not your dad's WWE, let alone your grandpa's, where you know fat blonde white guys in diapers were like beating each other up which you know hey it might not be your cup of tea but you felt if you met them in the back alley and you know said the wrong thing to them that you would be beat up too okay the 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 old nba okay you we held these events and these players in awe nobody nobody thought that they could take on michael jordan you know, nobody thought that, that they could even step on the court with, with half of these players. Now, I, I think that's still true, but it's still true in a sense. But you know what? You look at Sunday's All-Star game and you go, OK, this is accessible. This is friendly. This is a lot of offense. You don't have to know anything to know what's going on. But literally anybody could step on the court and score under these conditions. We wouldn't do it as fancy, but literally they turned the game into something that any YMCA hack uh, could come in and score 20. So what does it mean when Damian Lillard scores 25? Am I excited? No. I still remember Brandon Roy taking over an all-star game or two, and I was thrilled about that. Not, not so much about Dame. Certainly not about Tatum. Don't care. The 55 means nothing. And then you look in the record books, and that's above Wilt Chamberlain. You know, and that's above Michael Jordan. And you look, as, as I wrote, 12, the top 12 performances, nine of them have come in the last 10 years. So what do these mean? 
it's it's like grade inflation. It's point inflation. It just you have no history. You have nothing to track. And part of it is frustration about not seeing something new. Part of it is feeling like they're burying any sense of nostalgia you have. But part of it is like, if that's what you're going to do, why not just let anybody do it? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I can pick up what you put down there. Um, I think it's the same way with the NBA today. Uh, 30 points aren't created equally. You know, it's a, it's a lot easier to do it now than it was in the 90s and the 80s. Um, and the talent level in the NBA today is, is just fantastic. So you don't want to get that part of it, you know, misconstrued or whatever. But um, I, I, I agree with the wrestling analogy there, too. Uh, feels like there's a lot more spots, you know, as opposed to storytelling, uh, the rivalries and whatnot. The guys changed teams so many different times. So I can ramble on, on that for a minute. But I think it's well said. You know, it, it doesn't feel the same. We're looking at the NFL, different sports like that. It's, it's the same thing. The All-Star game really doesn't feel as special as it once was. So maybe they can, it can look into incentivizing different things to make players want to play harder. Um, designating special position groups or defenders, passes, whatever it is you want to do. But right now, it's just one of those things where you just watch it with the family um, and you, you don't really put too much stock into, you know, numbers and whatnot. Everybody's going to get the numbers. Everybody gets open shots. So it's tough. But, you know, as a basketball fan, you, you, you take what you can get. So it's, <laughs> it's fine with me. Yeah. So do you have any ideas of like what you'd like to see or how I know everybody has ideas to fix it, including me? I'm curious as to your thoughts. What do you think needs to be done, if anything? Or should they just let it go and go, OK, the, basically what's going to happen is the celebrity game and the all-star game are going to look the same, just with differing qualities. And literally, you could port those celebrities into the all-star game uh, and have the same thing you know so how do we prevent this or uh you know do you think we should i think um if i had to pick i'd say incentives would be the way to start and i'm not sure if you can go with money with that you know because everybody in the day they're rich already so but maybe you incentivize the, the mvp gets you know something for their team you know maybe a special um scheduling break or something like that just to you know just to get guys motivated to play um and put something like that in there um, I'm thinking about like the old All-Star games I used to watch. You know, I'd like to see them, you know, appeal to more than nostalgia where, you know, everybody's got their own jersey on. Maybe you incorporate the WNBA, stuff like that. Um, but I think the biggest thing is just if you get players playing for something that's more long-term. Like I think in the MLB, they do, uh, they used to do with a home court advantage, home field advantage has something to do with that. I'm not sure how it goes, but something like that to just give people more of a reason to play harder. Um, I think that'd be the, the big thing that I would focus on. Yeah, me personally. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the avenue I think that most people are taking. I don't think you can incentivize it en enough without ruining the game. Like you said, money's kind of out. And I think having real-world consequences, I mean, it doesn't doesn't matter too much to most players because they're not going to, they don't envision themselves making the finals. Uh, and I don't know. My thought, you probably didn't get to read the piece, it was long, but you split them up into discrete teams of five. So you have 15 all-stars and you play five on five. Each team faces the other team twice. So you have your starters face the other starters twice, once in the first half, once in the second. And instead of playing timed, you play to 20, right? So that here's what happens is that every possession the other team scores shortens your time on the floor. So if you don't defend, you're going to be off the floor in less than five minutes. It's like, you know, like gym ball or pickup ball, right? Uh, and then once everybody's played the side that got the advantage, you could play for 20 one more time. This time, all 15 players are involved. Uh, anybody, the coaches can sub anybody on the floor instead of keeping your discrete teams of five. And then the team that won the earlier preliminaries gets a point advantage in the last game to 20 to see who actually wins. And I think limiting possessions or making possessions more valuable and leveraging, okay, I, I, I might not care about the event. I might not care about history. I'm just trying to not get hurt. And you still don't want people hurt, but you want them playing for something or playing a little hard. You know, I, I still care about my time on the floor. I'm not going to go, you look at Julius Randle's kid, which was its own thing. I mean, I thought that was exploited by the camera. I thought that was, yeah. I was kind of met about most of that coverage, but you know, you brought your kids and stuff like that. You don't want to bring them somewhere to see you play for two minutes because nobody's defending. So you get a little bit of defense. Uh, and also the whole points thing, like I know it's going to change the structure, but at least if, if I'm the point guard and I know 
my team only gets a limited number of points. I'm not going to give them all to one dude, right? And, and especially if I don't get to shoot because I gave them all to one dude. So uh, you, you distribute the ball a little bit. You, you make defense come back a little bit. And you also have all the players playing. You know, right now, what does it matter if you play? I mean, you don't even know if you're going to play. You're going to get a few minutes. Who knows when? Uh, and even if it's timed, who knows what will happen in those few minutes or if you'll ever touch the ball. Okay. If I got five players and you've got five players and we face each other to 20, we know exactly when and how we're going to play. We're going to need all five of us. I'm responsible to a small number of people, not a nebulous team of 12 with a coach I don't even know. So I think there are a lot of reasons to do that. And I think that would be a simple fix that would bring back some competitiveness to the game. I think that's creative. Um, I thought that's what the NBA was going to do with the, the whole Elam ending thing where you get the fourth quarter and you got 24 points and whatnot. So um, value on possessions, I think, is definitely a... a key situations they've got to figure out. Um, but I think every idea should go on the table. So even your idea, I think, you know, you, you entertain that. Um, and really just how creative you can get with it. I think it's going to be important because now it sort of feels like they're just playing for the award, the the one-time all-star distinction as opposed to the actual game. So yeah. if that's the case, just take some chances to get creative with it. I'd say I'd, I'd even do a one-on-one tournament. You know, you can see who the best isolation scorer is, things like that, just to get the fans really excited. Four-point play. I'm yeah. all for it. I'm all for it. Yeah, you could do some more Saturday events too. I mean, there's no the. I mean, that skills challenge is cool, but I didn't. I didn't like it that much this year. Uh, but you know, individually and seeing who's going to make that last shot, that could be cool. But one on one would be awesome if you can get players to participate. I think they would argue that the injury issue on that might be a little much, especially for the stars. But yeah, I let them play. Let them play playground style, and basically, you know, whoever wins doesn't keep the court, but whoever wins grants an advantage the other thing about that too is that i had 15 reserves right not to hype up my own idea but i think this is really cool i'm sorry not 15 reserves you have 10 reserves five starters still voted on so the starters got to play the starters no matter who the fans vote on which is just hilarious like what if what if this team is a weird kind of five-headed octopus of a team they still got to go out there and play you voted them in congratulations right but you got the 10 reserves that now the coaches have to split up into two teams of five which can't intermix until the final round. So like the discussion over who should be picked, like how should these 10 players be separated to get best advantage for your team and create disadvantages for the other team? The coaches on the other side don't know how you're picking until it's revealed. So how do they strategize to prevent what you might do? Like, and do you put like two, your two seven footers on the same team to create twin towers or whatever? And you know, again, you got to run out this team and you cannot change it. Uh, you know, and they have to play the other team's second team and the other team's third team. Uh, you're you're forced to then coach like, okay, here's what we got to play against. Here's how we got to play. I I think that there's you introduce some basketball back in it, and you know nobody plays too long. I I think I don't know. I would pay to see that. I, I want to see I want to see uh Joel Embiid and you know Bam Adebayo like play on the same team and have to strategize against somebody who doesn't feel a team above six, nine, but, or a player above six, nine, who can all shoot or something. I don't know. Anyway, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I think it'd be great to see the strategy strategies behind that uh, matchup hunting. If you, if you get a chance to target two different bigs and the way you say it, you know, you'd be able to incorporate the post game back into that too, as opposed to players just coming up the court and, and horsing up a 40 foot shot. Like nobody really enjoys that. Unless it's Damian Luke, of course, but it's not really enjoyable unless you can, you know, get all of the different levels of basketball in there. So I like that idea. Right. I'd vouch for it. Yeah. Can you imagine that? I mean, a coach is sitting in there in the locker room going, okay, we've got two seven footers on our B team and they've got all shooters. So here, uh, Nicola, you remember the sky hook? You're going to throw one of those. We're going to throw it back to 1978 here. Uh, and imagine the roar of the crowd if they posted up. Jokic and he tried a skyhook and you know Dame could still shoot from half court once but he's not going to loft it you know he might do it for fun but in a game to 20 where the other team can beat you off the court you're not going to sit out there and shoot five 40 footers Uh, it's just your teammates themselves would get upset at you it's like dude okay I'm here too right so you know it I don't know could be fun anyway I suggest the NBA take a look at my writing as usual (laughs) anyway (laughs) So the Blazers come back from the All-Star break, and we get weird circumstances 
they've rested for nine days now. First of all, they get stuck on the tarmac in Portland in a blizzard and cannot get out to Sacramento. So anything from the tarmac wrap or anything that you have to talk about with all that stuff, it was it was a thing. The only thing I've heard and seen on Twitter was that uh, there was a Milwaukee Bucks fan that thought that Lillard was talking about Drew Holiday as opposed to Drew Eubanks. Um, but other than that, that's the only part of it I've heard so far. But knowing Dame Lillard and his rapping skills, I, I, it's probably a good song. I've got to listen to it. I haven't heard it yet, though. Okay, so Milwaukee Bucks fan, you realize that one point guard ain't setting a pick for another point guard. And if... Uh, <laughs> If if Lillard were going to call out somebody to come and join the team, it probably wouldn't be Drew Holiday. I mean, uh, all respect, he plays great defense for a point guard, and you know, but James going to have to share the ball with him. That's not, yeah. Uh, do, do you watch basketball, bro? So anyway, that's <laughs> also. Do you listen to rap, bro? So like, uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, you know, fun use of the time. Uh, I, I want to know whether Shaden Sharp's stare was staged. He, at the end, it pans to Shaden over there, and he's going, oh, my God. <laughs> but I assume <laughs> that was staged, but it would be halfway funny if it wasn't. The Blazers get off late. Uh, they fly into Sacramento day of, which presumably, I'm guessing, has something to do with the fact that they scratched Damian Lillard and they scratched Jeremy Grant. This under the umbrella of injuries that includes Yusuf Nurkic, still not back from his weeks-long injury now, and Anthony Simons not back from a grade uh, B or two or whatever ankle sprain uh, that he suffered just before the break. We kind of knew Ant wasn't going to be back. Maybe we hoped that Nurkic was going to be back. He wasn't even, I didn't even see if he was on the plane in that video. But now you take out Grant and Lillard, and all of a sudden people are drawing the conclusion, uh-oh, the Blazers, this was supposed to be the start to their playoff push. Now they're fielding no one recognizable as they play the Kings. Are they tanking? What's your thoughts on all of that? Um, I think it makes sense that they didn't play Lillard and Grant. Um, just knowing, you know, the way the, the, way the body works um, in the circadian system, you don't want guys coming off a plane and having to play right away like that uh, with stiff joints and sore muscles and whatnot. So I think it was just a situation where they kind of looked at the long-term, out, the long-term outlook um, and decided to go against that. And Dame Lillard even said after the game, like, no, we're not tanking. So taking his word for it on that um, and being as close as they are to the to the third seed or fourth seed, whatever you want to call it, um, it'd be tough for them to tank right now and, and justify that, especially with having the talent they have. So I think it just makes sense to do that. Uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, following the, the Pelicans, they had a situation similar to that where they had an ice storm and they had to fly the same day they played Dallas and they got destroyed in the first half of that game. So it makes sense that you want to be careful about how you play your players in that, in that situation. So, you know, it just, I think it's just taking a long time outlook. I don't think it's anything bigger than that. You know, what would have been interesting is if they just played Damon Jeremy in the second half and let them stretch the whole first half, you know, or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I don't believe we have enough evidence. We have to see more. Uh, and it probably was the plane trip that, that affected it. Uh, and Damien, look, LeBron had it right in his little video in the locker room at the All-Star uh, break. Dame ain't a youngin' anymore, right? He's not one of the young ones. He's 32, headed for 33. He does need to have some caution over what he does. And coming out playing in any way not ready would not be advisable. Huh? Jeremy Grant, that's more interesting. He's younger. He's in his prime. But, yeah, I don't think we know yet. Here's what we do know. Look, the the young guys, I mean, and just for perspective, here's who they started. Drew Eubanks, Cam Reddish, Nasir Little, Matisse Thibel, and Ryan Archidiakono. That starting five was never in anybody's. You could draft all the NBA 2Ks uh, like that have ever been made and will ever be made into history, uh, and you will never find that starting five anywhere in the universe it literally existed in the sacramento game uh and nowhere else and probably nowhere else ever again they did all right in the first quarter in fact well they had to play zone okay so uh that was one drawback but they haven't played enough together to play man-to-man probably right also they still lack a little bit of height but they were quick in the zone and you saw a difference for a minute about playing an active zone where players close out gaps 
and whatever zone the Blazers usually play. And the defense actually looked for about eight or nine minutes, looked really, really good. So there was some hope there that maybe there's some spirit or athleticism that the Blazers can add that might make the defense a little better. I don't know. I agree with that. You wouldn't have thought Portland was a team that had the, the situation with the ice storm and whatnot if you watched just the first eight minutes. Um, and I think that's that's part of why Mike Brown and that coaching staff, they were employing Sacramento to get out and run. You know, you don't want to keep playing against that, that zone defense and set zone defense every single possession. And uh, once they fixed the pacing and got things going, that's where you've seen the game start to change a little bit. Um, and it, it's just Portland just didn't have enough. You know, I kind of figured it was going to play out kind of that way. I thought they were going to come out and play hard. These are guys that don't really get a lot of opportunities. You know, you're not a little uh, shade and sharp guys like that. So you knew they were going to play well, but eventually it was going to catch up to them. And it, it did just that. And Sacramento showed why they were the, the third best team in the West right now, um, just on offense and defense. Yeah, well, and I think a lot of people were looking at that game in the abstract. They were looking at the, that game naturally in terms of players. We get to see what Shaden Sharp really does. We get to see what Nasir Little really does. And you did, but they were translating that to all players. It was a, it was a, a game where fans, I think, were looking at, I want to see how this player does and use that as indicative. Okay, They forgot to look at it as a game. And here's what happened in terms of the game. First of all, the second unit came in, which included Shaden Sharp, and the defense was not as good. The other thing that happened is, as the second half wound on, the starters didn't have that same energy. And they're not supposed to, because A, you get tired normally in a game, but also B, these guys aren't playing. They, they're not out there playing 40 minutes a night all the time, and I get that they're young and athletic and all that stuff, but, you know, that rhythm doesn't come naturally to you, right? And you're going to fatigue. And by the way, they too had been on a plane all night, or not all night, but all day yesterday, and they were suffering all that stuff, you know? So when the first unit couldn't defend like that anymore, partially because of what Sacramento was doing, but also, also honestly, partially because of fatigue, and Chauncey Billups had to go to the second unit, the defense wasn't there, Sacramento ran away with the game, I don't see why that's unusual, but a lot of people are up in arms about that. I'm not sure why. There was <laughs> you didn't have to be a Blazers fan to know they weren't going to win that game. Now they they were going to compete, but it just wasn't a game that that that, that roster that lineup they played yesterday was, was was more similar to last year's team when they were taking, as opposed to what we've seen this year. So I think Ryan Archidiakono came into this game with one made field goal, and now he has four. So this tells you a little bit about you know just how how rough it was, but. I 100% agree. Uh, that second unit, when when Sharp and Watford and those guys came in, they played well eventually, but to start, they weren't the same defensive team. And Sharp, I think somebody has to say it, um, he he had a couple of possessions yesterday where it got really, really rough. Uh, I remember Kevin O'Connor from the Ranger saying that sometimes he plays defense as if he's blindfolded. And you saw a little bit of that uh, yesterday where he was struggling to fight through screens, um, struggling to keep up with this assignment. So it's just it's tough. He's making rookie mistakes, so I don't want to hold that against him. But it was definitely noticeable that, you know, they weren't experienced. And that's part of why they had to play the zone as much as they did. So it just it, it was a tough overall But you didn't really expect them to come in and win that game, I don't think. <laughs> right. And Sharp is not only playing like a rookie. He plays defense like a rookie who hasn't played high-level five-man ball. Which, guess what? That's what he is. Yeah? Now, I think he has the tools to be a defender. But he gets lost, right? And and also, I think part of that of, well, we're going to make this up. You know what I mean? I'm good enough to make this up. My team's good enough to make this up. He didn't learn that in the NBA. But everywhere else he's played, he's been clearly, if not the best player on the court, among the best players on the court. And by definition, there's enough talent on that court to make up for mistakes because he's on that court, right? Well, that doesn't wash in the NBA because the other guy is pretty talented as well. And you let two or three plays go by, and all of a sudden that costs you six to nine points. And you realize the average margin of victory is what, three, two, something like that, you know? And you go, okay, literally the three times that I looked the other way and thought we'll make this up are more than that margin of victory. That's that's what coaches are seeing. It's not that they don't play with mistakes, but, you know, analysts and whatever are going like, ah, that that really hurts where Shaden Sharp, I think, mentally is still going. Ah, that's just Tuesday, 
you know, and it's like, okay, that gap has to be bridged. You wouldn't expect it to be bridged yet for the amount of time he's played with the Blazers and the amount of time he played competitive, organized ball at a high level before he got here. Yeah, I think that's well said. He's going to figure it out. Like you said, the margin of error is just much tougher in the NBA. And I will say this on offense, you know, he, he shot four for 14, but I think that the decision making and some of the, the choices that he made, especially as an off ball player, I think were really, really, really sound. Execution isn't always there. And sometimes, even though he, he'll airball shots or miss them pretty badly, but when he's cutting, he, he, he reminds me of a, a wide receiver in the NFL, you know, where he's able to find soft spots and, and cut off his uh, different cuts to get into different angles to score the ball. And I thought that was part of the reason why Sacramento struggled so early, struggled so often early on. Uh, was just on those pin downs. They were trying to switch, and, and Portland was getting them up quick. So that's huge. And I think with Sharp, that's just, just an area that's going to continue to get better as he, you know, grows and develops into his game. But it was it definitely stood out to me at the, at the first point of the game. Yeah, two areas where he's gotten better. I think they're exactly like you mentioned off ball, where he's I think dramatically improved, knowing when to cut, where to cut, and how to make it easier for his guy to get him the ball. Uh, the other I think is knowing where to pull up where to get his shots, right? And you see him going to more defined ranges, and he's always looked confident on his release, but now he looks a little more confident and practiced. Now, again, he shot four for, four for 14, one for five on threes, so it didn't show up, but his shot is still good. I mean, his you don't argue with him. Uh, one area, well, really two areas, where I have quibbles with him still Uh one assist, and I'm not saying he's a point guard, right? But, hey, uh, you know, he's a little bit of a black hole right now, right? And the defense can key in on that. Then they might not be able to stop him getting the shot off, but he can. they can make it tough on him. Also, zero free throws. And, yeah, he dunks, but he dunks on straight line, wide open looks. You don't see a lot of him going in, drawing contact, getting foul shots. And that should be a huge source of uh, points for him or opportunities for him. And he's just not getting those. Everything's either a three or a pull-up jumper without contact. And I think the defense keys in on this, too. Like, he's going to go in so far and no farther, so I don't have to worry about the dunk, even though he's one of the best dunkers in the league, because he's just not going to get it in this situation. Yeah, I can see that being the case. I, uh, one thing that I'm kind of interested in is seeing is, you know, over the next couple of years, does he bulk up his frame and get more muscle? I'm thinking that that'd be something that maybe benefits him a little bit as he, you know, transforms into the player that we expect him to be. But right now he's six foot six, 200 pounds. We've heard a lot of stories about guys that pick up maybe 10, 15 pounds of muscle and they're a different player. Um, so that's, that's something that I'm thinking about watching his, watching his tape. I've, I've noticed that he's, he's pump faking a little bit more, getting into those pull-ups and driving a little bit more than he did at the start of the year. Uh, but there's definitely some areas he can improve at. I love the way he rebounds, especially with that athleticism, getting into the lane and then flying in there using that vertical well. Uh, but like I said, this year I'm not holding anything to I think it's just a learning experience for him, for a guy that didn't really have a lot of experience before that. So uh, he's learning and he's going to get better. I think it's maybe a year or two away, or maybe even three years away from being the player that we think it's going to be, though. Well, and to the point, I'm looking at his season stats here, and we have uh, – 200 sorry i have new glasses here because i broke my old ones uh no sorry 392 field goal attempts against 48 free throws which yeah that's like that means 24 times i mean you get two right so uh unless it's on a make so somewhere between the maximum number he could have taken is 48 and you know it ain't that the minimum was 24 so somewhere in there let's split the difference let's say 36 let's say he made half of them who's fouled on which is a lot that's 36 times you got sent to the uh line on 392 shot attempts that's um that's that's not a ton it's really not per 100 possessions. That's only two free throws a two free throws a game. So it, it's it's something I think that he'll look into it when, when they get back to the drawing board in the off season. I think having that year under his belt is going to be crucial, um, and being able to kind of learn from the guys ahead of him, you know, Dame and Ant, and, and just seeing how they do it. So, like I said, I'm, I'm not I'm not too concerned about him eventually getting to that point. But right now, you can see some of the flaws in his game, and I think that's that's justified. I think it's, it's understandable. So. 
uh, just kind of waiting to see how it's going to work out with him for now and just trying to make an impact every night in some way, you know, at, at this moment. So 19 years old, he's got a lot of time to do that. Now, to be fair, Damian Lillard is about half that rate. He's he's half of, of uh, Sharps, but Damian Lillard is a much different player. I mean, that's they're not in the same universe. And if Damian Lillard got 10% of his foul shots, you know, <laughs> basically on, at the foul line, he'd be scoring 40 a game. Uh, let's look at Cam Reddish here to see if he's uh, comparable at all. He's he's got only eight field goal attempts on f- or eight free throw attempts on forty five. So he's even though the sample size is tiny, he's like doubled. Uh, there, I'd be interested to look at other wings. But anyway, it just seems to me that Sharp should, given who she he is and his abilities, he should be drawing more foul shots. That's going to make life easier on him. Uh, who else from that game stood out for you? If anybody, definitely Nasir Little. Uh, I, I think you, you've got to bring him up. The way he started that game off, he, he came out like a like you shot out of a cannon. Three point shot looked confident. I remember a few few months ago you bringing up the the Wayne Wade comparison. You can see it in the shot form the way he he confidently pulls up and whatnot. Um, and it felt like he just had a hand in every every single positive possession at the start of that game. Um, the three point shot, like I said, it looked nice. So defensively, he he showed some potential there. So. All things considered, he'd be a guy that I think really stood out. Cam Reddish stood out, 24 points on on 18 shots. Um, you know, there are some concerns about you know him, him continuing to develop, but I think he's in the perfect situation. Uh, Reddish, that is, already on his third team at age 23. You know, what's played on three different teams at age 23, Chauncey Billups. So it's it's just hoping that it works out for him there and that he's in the right the right situation. Little and Reddish, I think those are the two guys that really stood out the most, you know, in terms of the way they played yesterday. And they were going to win that game, but just seeing them, you know, get those reps, I think is invaluable in the long run. Yep. Uh, quick update as I'm looking here. Uh, Jeremy Grant and Josh Hart starting forwards, also wings, you know, play a little more like uh, Sharp might. Uh, Grant has 288 field goal or free throw attempts on 791. So he's about a third. Uh and Hart had 119 on 363, also about a third, right? So they're about 33% free throw attempts to field goal attempts. And uh, Sharp is 10. Uh, I agree with you uh, on Little. Um, look, I was asked on the radio when all this trade deadline stuff happens, who starts, right? And... Uh, who starts at small forward? And I said, well, it's got to be Nasir Little, at least at first, right? And it wasn't. And I'm going like, well, A, maybe I was wrong. Or B, maybe Chauncey is wrong. <laughs> and let's find out. <laughs> well, it's one game, okay? And I hate it when people do this. But I, I think that that game at least showed that Little has potential. I think the defense was decent with him in, by the way, because that was the rub, right? Okay, yeah, the guy can shoot, but where's the defense? Well, you know, again, hard to target from one game. But Portland's defense wasn't bad. It was pretty good when those young guys were in, and that included Little. Sharp made made way more defensive errors than Nasir did. Uh, And he didn't, Little didn't kill the defense in the end. So I don't know where that exactly is coming from but i think whatever you say about little you can say about sharp and sharp plays so i i think little deserves more of a look i thought he did before this and this game kind of shows it yeah i'd agree with that too um and i I was kind of worried he was going to end up getting traded at the deadline and i I thought that would be a mistake um every time he gets opportunities he, he he does this he shows you what he can do uh you know in the long term i think defensively we've seen a little bit of him you know, being a little bit over-engaged sometimes where he, he gets blown by on occasion, but um, his, his game continues to improve. You know, I, I think that he, he definitely earned this opportunity to play today or yesterday, and you saw what he could do. So hopefully he just continues to build on that, and I, I think that he deserves to be the starting small forward on this team in the meantime. In perspective, 10 for 19 field goals, 5 for 9 from three-point range. He's not going to do that every night. He's not going to get that many shots. But you know what? He was he was releasing that ball as aggressively and smartly as we've ever seen it. By the way, also four steals, and he got a block and two assists. So I mean, this was not a bad outing for him. Now Reddish, he got two steals and four assists, which which looks pretty good. But Reddish also has 
five turnovers. And to me, I mean, I was not as impressed with Cam. I mean, I don't, sure, he deserves more of a look too, but you're not, I'm not looking at his 24 points like I'm looking at Nasir's 26. Cam's like, okay, somebody's going to take those shots. He took a lot of them. He made some good plays. He made some bad plays. That was the type of play that I think you can't afford if you're going to make a playoff run. He's got to go down the order a little bit and come in and provide some of that instant energy and defense in limited minutes. Whereas I think Nasir gets the bigger ones. How about Thibel? Did you get a chance to see him much? And what did you think? Uh, he made some really good defensive plays. I'll say that I didn't really see a lot of him in terms of the offense goes. But, you know, when we when he first came in, we talked a lot about the deflections and whatnot. He had a, a hand in a lot of different plays in that game. Like I remember one in the first quarter where he was able to tip a pass. And uh, I think it was maybe Terrence Davis that caught it. And the way he caught it, it was so unorthodox that he ended up traveling right after that. So uh, just impact plays like that. Uh, he's really shot the ball well for given what we kind of expected from three point range thus far. I'm not sure how sustainable that is, but uh, I haven't had many gripes in terms of the way he plays right now. Um, he's not a guy that's going to take a lot of plays off the board offensively. So doing this role, playing this role really well, uh, was it seven steals over his first three games with the Blazers? So you look at that and, and it's it's a positive. I think all things considered. So yeah, not bad. I mean, again, we need to see more. I don't think he's the answer. Like people got real excited over him and it's, it's too one-sided. I could see making use of him. I'm not, I'm not mad. He's on this team. Not at all, but he's, he's not even Josh Hart, let alone what's going to solve the Blazers problems. Two things I think showed up in spades here when you took away the the top blanket. Uh, Number one, Blazers don't have a lot of players who can pass. Okay. So one of the most, one of the silliest arguments that I saw was, well, why is he playing Archie Diacono so long and Shaden Sharp so little? Well, okay, you might have an argument about Sharp, although we covered that a little bit. But because Archie Diacono is the only guy who can pass. I mean, literally, there's nobody else. He's If you take away Lillard and you take away Simons, the Blazers got nobody. Nobody who can, you know, they shared the ball. It's not like they were selfish about it, but just making a play, especially off the dribble, it's just not there. The other thing is the tragic continued lack of of height and and big, you know, big guys. I mean, they got pounded on the boards eventually. Uh, they their interior paint play or defense fell apart as the game wound along too, and it's just like, okay, I love Drew Eubanks always. Always have, always will. But you take away the protection that Eubanks has around him of veterans and his lack of size and and bulk really show. Uh, And Portland just doesn't have, Portland needs to get bigger. There's no way around the fact that they need a few big guys. And the way you just said that is one of the key reasons why I haven't been as critical of Chauncey Billings as maybe others have. It's because it's almost like he's coaching handcuffs. You know, he's, he's, I say it all the time. When you've got one guy above 6'9 on the roster, it's just so hard to win games, especially if one of them's in foul trouble. We've seen it play out time and time again. And as much as we can say about Yusuf Nurkic and his flaws, when he's missing, you can tell when he's missing. So it's just it's a tough situation. Um, like you mentioned with the passers, too. Um, it's just been a really, really rare situation for him. He's got young players on the team where you can't play man-to-man, got to play zone, you know, a lot of the time. So just a really weird situation for him. Um, and... I think that's why I haven't been as critical, but it, it's just you want to see the Blazers eventually address those problems. You know, he's talked about how it's a situation where he doesn't really like it. They don't have the luxury to do it. So, you know, you just I don't know. We've been talking about it for so long. You want to you want to see it get fixed, but it hasn't gotten fixed yet. So, you know, it's a nature, I guess. Yeah, let's put this in perspective. What if they gave you a team that was 100 percent wings? I mean, it, it's like you stopped at Wingstop. It's all they got is wings, okay? And the only exception to this, the only biscuit in the whole thing is Ryan Architiakano. And the only guy on the other side, the bowl of mac and cheese, is Drew Eubanks. 
those are the two players you have that are not between six eight and six you know four and uh, who can do anything besides roam the wings and score from the wings you know some rebounding i get it but like the only guy above six nine is eubanks the only guy who's anything resembling a playmaker or point guard is archie diacono you're going like, you know what? Those wings better be Michael Jordan and Larry Bird and Pascal Siakam and whatever, because otherwise I'm going to get killed no matter who's out there. Absolutely. And if you look at the Blazers roster, like the, the, the four tallest guys in the team are John Butler, Ibu Baji, Yusuf Nurkic, and Juju Banks. And two of those four guys have, have not played like basically all season. One of them hasn't played in, in, in weeks. He's played two minutes in February. So that's Yusuf Nurkic. So it's just really hard to win games like that. You see teams that are able to exploit that. The best offenses are able to take advantage of that um, and, and try to switch anything. It's a, it's a disadvantage across the board. So, I mean, I I, I just don't get it. I, I think that we see it the same way everybody else sees it. And for them to not kind of go and try to fix that problem immediately at the trade deadline is a bit concerning. Um, and it's going to gonna rear its ugly head. If a Portland plays in the postseason and they come in there with that, you know, it's going to showcase us up there too, so. Just kind of got to be ready for it, but it, it's a it's an ugly sight to see on most nights when it's like that. Not only did they not fix it, they went backwards because they made their wings worse, yes. right? <laughs> so that's that's the thing. Like we're not tanking and we're building a contender around Dame. Okay, like actions have got to match words, and we know that they're not right now. There's nothing else that can be done. But let's not lie. If you're talking about win now and contending now, we went backwards at the trade deadline so puts more pressure on this summer or to change the story so i was thinking about it this way so there are three general sources let's simplify here three general sources of of the issue of problems one could be players they're just not talented enough second be coaching which a lot of people are saying right now and then third could be roster construction, like the GM. And, and I'm not talent is part of that. I get it, but literally the 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 way the Legos are put together, not just how good the Legos are. Um, if you had to assign a percentage to each, what would you say the the issues are for Portland right now between those three? Just talented talent overall, coaching and roster construction. Talent overall, coaching, roster construction. I think roster construction is definitely at the top of that list. I'm gonna go. Uh, 50 percent 45 50 percent something like that mm-hmm. uh coaching give that about 30 percent and then the last 20 percent you'll get that too if my math is correct yeah 20 percent to the to the talent because i came into this season looking at the roster they had with with lillard and simon and grant and hart nurkic and i'm thinking like okay this is a roster that can go get you 45 50 wins you know but injuries kind of played a role in that and their depth got tested and i think that's where you really see the issues is when when you got all of these guys on the bench that have never played together, number one, and number two, they, they're rookies, you know, so it's it's doubly tougher. So uh, I think depth and roster construction go hand in hand, so I'd put those two, you know, at the top of the list. Um, but talent-wise, I think they definitely got the talent to do more than they've done. I think they sort of underachieved a little bit, but just different circumstances have kind of tested their hand, and they haven't, been really, they haven't really responded to it as well as they could have, I would say. That's actually really interesting. I love that season-long perspective. It's something I've lost sight of because, yeah, coming in, I thought that starting five is not bad. Really is not bad. And Gary Payton coming off the bench is solid. Shaden Sharp is interesting, at least. So you think you got at least seven who can maybe do something. And then the guys underneath were your Drew Eubanks, Trenton Watford, guys you knew from before, who, who were going to be solid as lower rotation guys. And by the way, have fulfilled that promise. Those two have. Even Jabari Walker has stepped up. So like you're going like you got what you needed from the lower rotation. You thought you were really talented in the upper rotation. That's 50 wins should be easily in the discussion, right? And if you get if you get hot, maybe even more, they start 10 and four, which ups that, you know, expectation quotient. And now they've won 18 games and lost 27 since. And their, their top five is not as talented as it was. Their middle rotation is not as talented and experienced as it was. And their lower rotation is still there, but hanging out in the wind, having to do too much in too many places. Yeah. I mean, this is not a good story. This is not, you cannot spin this into a good story for this season. And, and the real clincher that brought this up for me was when you said 45 or 50 wins and I'm going, oh boy, 
at this point, it looks like they're going to be happy to get 41. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. We definitely had better, a better perspective and, and expectations of what we expected at the start of this year. And I just looked at it. I, every roster that they assemble, I kind of compare it to that 2019 roster with Afaruk Aminu and Mohawkless and, and those guys. And you put them side by side, and it's like, it feels like it's very similar. You know, Jeremy Grant, Josh Hart, guys that kind of fulfill that same kind of kind of role. They play the same kind of way. So it definitely seemed like it should have went better, but just the injuries they weren't able to sustain that, I don't think, as well as they, they possibly could. And part of that's understandable. But, you know, I've talked a lot about how the Blazers, they, sometimes it feels like they're just kicking the can down the road and just trying to, just toiling away in mediocrity. Um, but when you get injuries like that, it's, it's, it's tough, you know, so... Well, they, you, you see both sides. You see both sides of it. So, oh, go ahead, go ahead. That's all right. They tried, right? I mean, because if you look at just look at those forwards, now that shooting guard we'll get to in a second, but look, just look at those forwards. I mean, would you take this year's Jeremy Grant or peak Alfaruka Minu? I think clearly you take Grant, right? Would you take yeah, this year's Josh Hart or peak Mo Harkless? Clearly, you'd take Hart. Right. Uh, so like they, they literally did what they were supposed to do. They got better at those positions. Now you can argue CJ McCollum and Anthony Simons and probably you take CJ. Right. But the asterisk to that is Anthony ain't doing bad. All right. I mean, the man scoring 20 uh, and CJ like topped out at 23. So, you know, it's not like that was that's horrible. I don't know. It feels like on paper they did get better. And they did do what they were supposed to do. It's just not translating on the court. Yeah, basically just as simple as that. Um, and even the second units, I'm thinking about those teams with, with Seth Curry and Ennis Kanter, Myers, Myers Leonard, guys like that. Even you look at this year's Blazers roster, I think that the big difference is that they're just a little bit younger and just a little bit less experienced. But this was a different team when, when Justice Winslow was healthy, you know, when he was playing well and, and they had more projects like that. But um, they don't really feel that far off from that team that that – that previous iteration of the Blazers. So I think it's just tough breaks, you know, here and there that, that kind of, you know, play into their demise a little bit. So you're hoping that they can kind of finish strong and, and get into a little bit of that potential towards the end of this year. But it's hard to say right now, for sure. Yeah. I mean, hokey smokes. I forgot Justin Winslow was on this team. That's how bad this has gotten. I mean, you got to forgive me because the trade deadline shuffle put a lot of names out there, right? But Justice Winslow still exists. And he's so far from playing that I don't even remember him. And I watch the team every day. Yusuf Nurkic, somehow you kind of knew he wasn't going to be back. I mean, so, like, you just, it's not only that the talent isn't producing, it's like parts of the structure are falling off and we've just lost track of them. It's like the team is literally falling apart, not just metaphorically falling apart. Uh, wow. I, it, this, is, this is a lot. I get uh, Not to paint a bleak picture, but you get, putting this in perspective, how are we all talking? We're mad that the Blazers didn't win a game in Sacramento against, without all of their starting five, right? This is how the talk is going. The reality is, you know what? Th that's not the only problem. There's a lot more problems than this going on underneath the surface. Yeah, it just feels like a different team from earlier this year. I'm, I'm looking back on like the old games and whatnot, and it felt like that Blazers team in November could really beat anybody. And now it's like they can lose to anybody. And I, I, I just the plays they ran, the play designs they ran, you know, the horn sets with Dave, uh, the high lows with with Nurkic and Grant. You don't really see that too much anymore. And they've they've kind of adjusted that, and it's sort of dumbed down a little bit on both sides of the ball. Um, and, and injuries and, and having to incorporate different guys in and out of different roles and lineups. Maybe that played a role into it too. Uh, but I think. Somewhere along the way, they just lost their way, and it, it's been hard to get it back. And so now it's – you love the fact that you're only three games out of the, the, the final playoff spot, but even then, you know, the, the ceiling of this team feels like a first-round exit, you know, even at, even on your, your most optimistic take. You know, they, you just can't really see it unless it really shakes right for you. So it's tough, very tough to say. And now they're left in the same old void with the question of not just the playoffs, but – Damian Lillard is scoring 31.4 points a game, right? And you're going like, is that cause or effect? Like, is there that void and everybody's falling apart and now Dame is the superhero stepping in because he's the only one big enough to fill it? And he's doing well at that, but they're not winning? Or is Dame stepping in and filling the void and now there's no room for the team to patch it 
and we don't see those sets the same way anymore because this is Dame's 40-point night again. And I'm not saying that that, I mean, my point is not to criticize Dame. It's saying literally, you understand he doesn't have a choice, so he steps in. He's like the organizational head who's watching the, the, the organization fall apart and going, I got to keep this together somehow. And he can. But that's not ultimately going to cause the Blazers to win if he has to do that. And we already knew that from past seasons, and yet here we are again. Yeah. I, I, me personally, I think it's definitely the first one. Um, I wrote about this last week. It's, it's a situation where you look at it, there's no player that's had as many losing efforts in 40-point games that Lillard has this season, um, despite the fact that he's, he's starting off games so hot. I think he's definitely made it a, a, a conscious matter to start games off well and keep pulling in the in the competitive race and whatnot uh, in those games start. So he's putting a lot of expectation on himself. Uh, but it just hasn't really worked out. I think that they're just they're just missing a, a piece or two to really get over the top. So it's 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 it, you hate to see it for him because he's playing so well. Uh, he's been the best scorer in the NBA over the last two months. So not really much more he can do, I don't think. But just continue to give his team a chance and, and let the let the cards fall as they may. I think that's all you can say at this point. All right. Well, let's uh, see how they're going to fall. A Sunday, the Blazers have the Houston Rockets at home in a. If they lose it, the tank accusations are going to go through the roof game. Uh, they travel to Golden State on Tuesday and then back home for back-to-back on Wednesday against New Orleans. Uh, how do you feel that those three games are going to go? Houston at Golden State and then the Pelicans. Well, it'll have been 12 days since Damian Lillard's last game. Uh, Jeremy Grant and those guys will be back in the, in the lineup too. So I think that they go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go three and oh, we go three and oh here. I think they understand this is a, a very critical stretch. I want to say two and one, but I think they're really, they're really honing in on this. Golden State looks very vulnerable. Houston is soon to be eliminated in a, in a, a situation where everybody's still in it. So they're, they're not a good team at all. And then they get New Orleans. I think New Orleans is vulnerable too without Zion Williamson. So I'll go three and three and oh, 31 and 31 at this time next week. I'll go with that. They have to go three and zero in order to get back to five hundred and set themselves up for the last exactly twenty games, right? To see their fate. You know what? I'm going to be that guy. I'll go one and two. I, I've not done this. I've not done this this season. We've been close, and we've both predicted winning records or at least five hundred. I think every single time, maybe save one. But I'm going to. I think that Houston win is a resurgence, and. They might fall on their face in Golden State and then come back on the back-to-back. Maybe not everybody plays. Maybe the Pelicans get hot. And it just feels like feels like things are rattling, and I'm waiting for, you know, waiting for the, the shoes to start dropping out of the closet. Now, I hope I'm wrong, and I think I might be. I'm not I make I make all predictions lightly, including that one. There's, there's, they might be three and zero for all I know. But it doesn't seem to me impossible that they come through and go, oh, gosh. Okay, now are we tanking? Do you see the schedule they have after that? They got at Atlanta, at Orlando, at Detroit, at Boston, at Philly, at the Pelicans. So a six-game road stand right after that. So it's, it, if they don't if they don't come out this week and really play well, I think the season is, is, is definitely in shambles. Because a six-game road trip, and then they got to close one out, four out of five to close the season out, it's tough. It, it's going to be really tough. It wouldn't be impossible... It would be very blazery to go one and two this week and go, okay, they're tanking, they're out of it, they're done. The six-game road trip, they're going to get killed. And then they go on that six-game road trip and drink some of that, like, <laughs> juju. And, you know, it's like and, and they're like, okay, we went four and two or five and one on this road trip, and now we're back. And it's like, okay, but what about the one and two before? I mean, you could have won, the, and now you're back, and you're back to 500. That's what you did. That's what back is. And it's so blazery. Just like, here yeah. you go. Look at this. This is shiny. It's like, yes, but it's shiny, and you put it all together, and it makes the same 75 cents that you always had. You're just shifting around the quarters in your hand to making them look good. And I was like, okay, we'll see. Uh, anyway, that's way too far to predict, but we'll see who's closer this week. Any last thoughts saying goodbye to the All-Star break or you know any thoughts anything we've missed um i think the biggest thing is that i'm just really looking forward to this uh dame versus cj matchup wanted to see it earlier this year it's going to be emotional in portland really looking forward to that one but 
other than that, I can't really think of too much. It's really exciting for that game, though. Yeah, ESPN wants to see it, too. That's where it's going to be. So this ought to be interesting. All right, for Marlo Ferguson and Dave Deckard, uh, we are skipping over two games in order to get to the New Orleans matchup. Hopefully the Blazers will allow that by winning both. We will see you next week to see whether we should all party towards a playoffs resurgence or moan and cry over the impending tank. Either way, we'll see you in a few days. <laughs>